0: here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now, they don't wait till later.
1: Future Tech Podcast. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm here with Evis and Giorgio from ProCivis AG. ProCivis AG works in digital identity applications on the blockchain. Hello, gentlemen. How are you?
2: Hey, how are you? Thanks for having
1: us. Well, glad to have you here. And so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about first of all the importance of digital identity. Uh, can first can we just define what that is, and I know a lot of us may know, but just give us your definition of digital identity, especially as it relates to blockchain applications.
2: A digital identity, the way um, we tackle it here from sorts of uh, basically the equivalent of, of your passport in a, digital, in a digital format, in a format that can be trusted by third party, uh, notably a government, basically a new passport that enables you to transact with um, parties that require the. Absolute highest level of assurance when it comes to the attributes of that identity So we're thinking governments uh, banks insurance anyone that needs to onboard an individual uh, and needs to be certain of, of particular particular individuals attributes.
1: okay, so it's it's your it's an online version of your passport then that's um, okay and so tell us about uh, Procivis what does the, what does the company do and uh, what problem specifically does it solve?
2: One of the problems that uh, this country we, we're from and we're based in, Switzerland, is actually a library in any uh, in, in, in government application. And if you think about it, one of the reasons you cannot vote online, and one of the reasons you cannot apply for welfare, and all kinds of transactions that you can currently do with your government, just not online, what holds it all together and what makes it all happen um, would make it all happen online is the ability to have a trusted uh, digital identity, one that can um, that can be trusted by the parties that are providing these services, i.e., the government. Uh, and that doesn't exist when someone does not have a uh, such a product. At least it does not have one that is widely adopted by the population. And one of the things that we set out to do when we created the company is to tackle that very problem and to try and find out the reasons. Uh, behind why, uh, in a country such, such as uh, Switzerland, which is normally quite technologically advanced, why that was not happening.
1: So could you point to a, an example in a, a, a different country, for instance, where where this technology is in place?
2: The country that, that is often hailed as uh, the model country, digital society, is, is Estonia. A CEO, a CEO spent a lot of time there trying to analyze why Um, for decades now I think they started in 1992 and why they have become uh, the the country that the poster boy if you will of uh, the government application and digital society in general so we try to learn from from the experiences that they've made and uh, and try to translate that into something that could be applicable to uh, to to the regions uh, where we live and possibly make it better A lot of things that this particular country, Estonia, did, is also based on on technologies that are now relatively aged. And so we try to apply some of the lessons that they that they could teach us, uh, but also apply them to uh, to the technologies that are available to us today.
1: It's interesting that you brought up Estonia. And so uh, for for those of us in the audience that aren't quite familiar uh, with this country, it used to be. Uh correct me if I'm wrong on my history lesson but it used to be a part of Russia and then they gained their independence something like 20 25 years ago and uh they got a, a a new president or governor or leader who decided uh well Estonia is going to be the tech hub and you know the most futuristic modern city or country in the world is am I am I close on that
2: Yeah you're quite correct I when when Estonia was made independent, they found themselves with a relatively small country, a lot of know-how, and uh, and very little uh, infrastructure and very few resources to try and deliver services to their to their citizens. And you're quite right; they had a prime minister who um, took the bet to. Uh, this was this new technology at the time called the internet, and he took the bet that this was going to be the most efficient way of 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 serving its citizens. And, um, and therefore, they very quickly got on to uh, got on the wagon of trying to devise solutions for for citizens to to use and be able to transact with their government. So it's out of necessity mostly that that Estonia, and also out of the fact that you know, they were used to um, things happening in a centralized um, centralized way, just like Russia, the old Russia, uh, used to used to function. Being a, um coming to this country and 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 having this country governed in a very centralized way so the two com- the two combined together this ability to 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 function in a very centralized fashion but also the necessity and the scarce the scarce resources made it um made it um a very fertile ground for, for the country to do, to become what it is today in terms so of in terms
1: you mentioned of- you you mentioned that your your ceo spent some time there and, and learned a lot of lessons from how they operate. Uh, could you summarize you know, the top two or three lessons that, that he brought back to Switzerland?
2: One of, the things that, one of the reasons why digital identity solutions have failed, because there's been a few, was the fact, but the, the fact that the solutions that were provided to those citizens were, for one, clunky, and uh, they were not really mobile. Um, And and, uh, that's one of the things that, of course, that wasn't the case in Estonia in 1992, but um, one of the reasons why it was uh, fairly widely adopted as as the country went along, uh, apart from making it mandatory at the very beginning, but also very quickly enabled their digital identity solutions to become fully mobile. And, and one of the things that, uh, one of the reasons why user adoption failed in Switzerland, for instance, is because uh, the, the, the solutions that were proposed were, were very clunky and, and we were acquiring all kinds of devices and, uh, and, and, and NFC cards or UB key, et uh, They were also rather, relatively costly uh, as opposed to Estonia, where things were fully sponsored by the government. And one of the things that probably most important is um, Estonia. Very quickly, fostered a an ecosystem and application. In other words, once you had your digital identity, there were actually things you could do with it, uh, as opposed to um, as opposed to what happened here, where individuals would uh, perhaps um, choose to try it first and pay for it, but then they would quickly realize that uh, the actual web uh, applications or government services had not followed through, and and you would basically find yourself. Having uh, this great neat uh, digital identity, but, um, but absolutely or you know, very few applications that you could actually, um, actually actually benefit from. And so, the fostering of an ecosystem, um, an app and third-party application as well as proprietary application with with regards to e-government uh, services is an important part of the success factor that that uh, made Estonia and hopefully will uh, also make us. Um, more popular than we are today already. You know, it's
1: this is a really interesting topic for me because I I pay attention to things like this. I I had I had read about Estonia and you know had watched some some documentaries on it and they really did embrace technology. And you know I'm here in the United States in Texas and uh, we we consider ourselves a, a tech powerhouse. You know for the most part, but uh, you know. That said, trying to apply for a passport is a very clunky and cumbersome process that you can technically do online, but it's not very pleasant. Uh, a lot of things that you do involving the government, we still have to do in person, or we have to print out a piece of paper and mail it in to some you know, unknown entity. Uh, and it's almost impossible when you're dealing with any kind of uh, state or federal government website, uh, it's almost impossible to uh, navigate these websites because the infrastructure is a decade old or more. And sometimes you're going on to websites that were literally built in the 90s. Uh, and where you have this tiny country in Eastern Europe, everything is online. Uh, you have this this digital identity, and it takes care of everything for you. Uh, Another example is uh, in China, you know, I don't know if they have technically a digital identity for everyone, but they do have an app called WeChat. And now this is a, you know, state controlled uh, government and everything is is tightly controlled. But if you're in China and you have WeChat, you can use WeChat to do almost anything. It's not just a messaging platform. You can you can buy and sell things, you know, and you can interact with stores and you can do all these different things with WeChat. And so, uh what it sounds like you're you're really doing is you're you're still pioneers even though Estonia is is a little bit ahead of you. They're they're ahead of all of us. I I don't know of another country that is that advanced at this point. Have uh, have you seen any other examples?
3: I think a good example that people refer to is India. So India uh, launched uh, its pro- a digital identity program about nine years ago, and it managed to it's uh, it managed to give an identity to more than 1.2 billion Indians, and this drove down, for example, the cost of opening a bank account from 20 U.S. dollar to 30 cents, and this um, gave new bank accounts to 30 million Indians, and um, this is quite impressive. Maybe it's less impressive from the capabilities, but it's very impressive, the reach of it, because it's certainly the largest uh, digital identity program. So uh, it's also subject to a lot of criticism because they they do have a strong emphasis on biometrics and they collect uh, high-risk hands of all participants, fingerprints. Uh, but it's certainly one of the... Uh, most successful project. What, what Jojo is saying
2: is very correct.
3: Um, but the surrounding countries, the Nordic countries, uh, have also
2: made quite a few advances with uh, digital identity in general and, and, and uh, providing uh, online services, government services, etc. So the Nordic countries uh, are also quite advanced. And, and I would say that Europe, or good old Europe, is probably also lagging. And there are a lot of similarities with. I've lived in the States and I, I know exactly what you mean. And what you're talking about, but things are, are quite similar here. Um, we also have a federated systems, so we have not states, but we have cantons, and things vary widely. If you go from, you know, if you compare one to the other, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot of progress can be made in that area.
1: Let's talk about some of the strides that, that Procivis is making uh, to to make that progress happen. Uh, you guys are you're you're doing a a crowd sale for a, a platform right now called Valid, uh, and tell me about that.
2: So. Um, as we were developing our digital identity product, which is now, uh, now marketed and selling relatively well, it's the centralized solution, i.e. the trusted centralized solution. What I mean by centralized is when you download an app and then you go to the government, and the government validates that you have, in fact, entered uh, the right attributes into that app. It's the right name, the right date of birth, the right, um, passport number, etc. So there's that verification process that happens uh, and that you do once and once you've done it you've got a verified digital identity that you can go on and use a trusted website and transaction as opposed to a web uh, Facebook login or a Google login. So that's the difference. But as we were developing the product we also I very quickly realized that the space is evolving extremely rapidly and that uh, two things are happening at the same time. The world is trying to find solutions for the two billion people out there that have no proof of of existence. They have no uh, official documents, no birth certificates. And what that means is that they're basically excluded from the economic and social and political systems. Um, So that's one thing. The other thing is that I'm sure you've heard of blockchain. And, uh, and the promises of blockchain is um, is, is, a, is a decentralized consensus or trustless consensus, and 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 this ha- offers a glimmer of hope for all these individuals who cannot or do not have the luxury that we do in, in industrialized countries of having a government that tells us that we are in fact who we say we are, and that's called the passport. And so the convergence of, of of if you will of, of of what technology enables us to do. Uh, today, with with this huge humanitarian uh, problem, um, creates an environment which is uh, which is full of idea and creativity, and we wanted to be part of it. We wanted to to start um, devising solutions for not only these individuals uh, that 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 have no hopes of it, ever getting an official ID, but providing them with a way to do uh, through blockchain consensus uh, mechanism. Uh, on the other hand, we also realized that there was a real convergence uh, between digital identity, core digital identity, your passport and personal data. Now, uh, what's interesting is that from a government perspective, the government really needs to know that you in fact who you say you are. But if you're a marketer, a marketplace, you're a product company, all you need to know really, you don't care about people's name, you don't care about where they live or where they're from, or their nationality, what you really care about is uh, that you need to have a certain um, certainty that uh, an individual has in fact a credit card and has shopping habits that, that, that correspond to uh, something you're trying to sell to them and that's the only news it's called psychometric news. And, and so we realized that there's more and more conversions between what's considered core digital identity attributes and psychometric attributes with which the marketplace only cares about and so as we were trying to devise what we think is the next generation digital identity management platform we also realized that we're going to need a lot of money to create that vision and uh, traditional uh, fundraising uh, channels, of venture capital, firm, uh, we're not going to be the one providing us with the necessary capital to create that that, that that vision and create that platform. And so the the obvious choice for us was to do a crowdfunding to an ICO, and and that is why Valid uh, is born, and that is why we are, why we, we are where we are today. So talk
1: to me just a little bit about what you just said. Venture capital firms were not going to be the source of funding for this. Why is that?
2: Well, for one thing. Um, a lot of what's happening on, on the blockchain fund, a lot of the promises of blockchain. Uh, very few, the promises are there, and everybody can almost touch uh, uh, some of the application. Yet, a lot of them are still in the, in the testing phase, and 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 very few of the applications have actually been market tested and market proven. Now, a typical venture capital um, company will probably not fund you. If you if you just you know if all you have is a, is a white paper and if all you have is, is 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 an idea and a concept on a technology which has it's, just, it's which is yet which is still very very new and and unproven particularly when it comes to a certain applications uh, so I think that's mostly the reason why uh, venture capital is is would not be the right um, the, the right channel for us. But also um, for, for for valid for this product to be successful and for a lot of blockchain products, um, a community is needed. A community of people that believe in it is needed. And therefore, um, trying to create and and raise awareness through a, a community is also vital for the success of the product. Not just not just for finance, uh, financial financial uh, raising purposes, but simply to have a community that supports and make the whole um, the, the the whole project is success.
1: Okay, yeah, it makes sense. And, and so as you have been developing this, uh, first of all, how how long has this been in development?
2: Um, we started um, drafting the white paper last uh, last August, so now we are in the middle of ICO, but we already um, have a digital identity solution, as, as I've explained, which is a centralized solution. Um, the, the funds will be helping us uh, creating that vision and iterating the current the current product that we currently have into something that's fully blockchain enabled, uh, as well as the marketplace for the personal data that, that's attached to it, and, and this will take the creation of that that vision will take uh, about two years.
1: So from August to now, from the white paper to where you are, what were some of the kind of unique and unexpected challenges that you've run into
2: uh, in this process along the way? From a technology standpoint, or more from a fundraising ICO process standpoint. Right. Well,
1: either either one. Um, you you probably have a better perspective than I do. So you know, let's let's say were were there technological challenges? If so, what? And were there financial challenges? If so, what were they?
3: I think it uh, it's not very defined yet how blockchain companies are meant to carry on their business. So. Uh, you know if you do uh, an ico are you issuing uh, equities are you issuing a currency who is there to regulate you how do you pay taxes uh, even looking for a bank account was a challenge so i think if i have to think what was the biggest challenge for us was to find our framework of legality if you was you know uh, what how do we do something that is legit and is regulated? That was the hardest challenge. It's an interesting
1: point uh and and it it really kind of harkens back to uh in 2017 there were so many i c o s token sales, crowd sales. There were so many of them, and so many of them were just total frauds uh, that uh, governments all over the world have been clamping down on this, and it's much more difficult now to put out a legitimate ICO because you have to go through extra hoops. You have to fill out extra forms on those old websites we were talking about. Uh, and it's it, it's a challenge, but uh, there, there are kind of two schools of thought here. Um, a lot of the blockchain purists uh, say, you know, we don't want the government involved. That's why we're doing the blockchain. Uh, but at the same time... Uh, those investors who would want to invest in it, uh, to a certain extent, they, they prefer these additional regulations because it, it means legitimate companies like yours are taking the steps necessary to be legitimate, and the illegitimate companies are just trying to skirt the law.
2: Do you have any thoughts on that? I think another 20% of these 2017 know, ICOs are about to go out, uh, fading out. So it's a huge, uh, a huge drop rate not unlike what you'd expect from a, from a startup environment, if you will. When it comes to Switzerland and, and regulations, um, I think Switzerland, I saw another ranking in terms of dollar amount, it's the number one jurisdiction uh, for ICOs. Uh, so it's a fertile ground and uh, regulators here have a very pragmatic stance, um, uh, quite liberal on one hand, but on the other hand, um, it's very difficult here to do an ICO without a law firm attached to it. Uh, in fact, it's, it's impossible. Very quickly, if you don't have a, a reputable law firm um, attached to your project, uh, you very quickly get a call from uh, uh, the equivalent of, of your SEC. And um, law firms here uh, have a lot to lose. They have their reputations to lose, so they will only they will only look at projects in which they believe. It's very interesting to see how that 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 sort of selection already happens the first time you go and knock at one of the major law law offices so they they're very keen to take on your project if they believe in it on the other hand they're very quick to tell you um to go to, to go visit someone else or most likely in another country or jurisdiction if they think that you you anywhere um you know to be to be suspected uh, as not being a valid uh, valid project or, or a scam and the simple things such as KYC or anti money laundering uh, processes if you're not willing to go by by these processes and and abide by them adhere, adhere to these rules uh, very quickly, you'll be you'll be uh, um, rejected and, and 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 sent out. So that it, it's very interesting, and in fact, it creates a, probably a much healthier environment than than more jurisdiction, and I'm not going to name any that are a lot more lenient with regards to these issues.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I I agree, and I'm not typically one to uh, present a strong opinion uh, one way or another here on these podcasts. But my personal opinion, I'll go ahead and share it, is all of the regulations and all of the extra things that governments uh, and regulators are putting in place to protect investors is a good thing. And, and it sounds like uh, you agree with that. Uh, and so that's why you're following uh, the right steps on this. Uh, because without it, um, we're, we're just we're going to lose credibility for the movement of you know, blockchain technology because most people who aren't familiar with it uh, they just think it's it 's like a way to play you know pay money for online gambling or you know to do nefarious things on the internet, and we have a lot of work to do to overcome that image, and part of it has to do with making sure if we 're going to do a crowd sale um that it is you know, properly registered and regulated, and that the those who invest have at least a, their their chance of being ripped off is minimized, and so I, it sounds like that you guys are in agreement with that. Uh, now, tell me just really quickly uh, the the Valid program. Um, where where can our audience go to learn more about that?
2: If you go on their website, you can find out a lot about it. It's from valid.global. Again, it's uh, it's an integrated personal data management platform, and we call it integrated because it in, integrates. Uh, core trusted digital identity I discussed your passport but it also um, enables you to safeguard personal data um, and, and enables you to monetize that personal data with our marketplace for data and um, I don't know if you're familiar but in Europe there's uh, important new regulations data protecting regulations that come into force in May uh, this year they call the GDPR regulations and um, they will have a very deep impact on the way uh, big companies not only market to individuals, but also uh, hold the process and, and, and save the data on individuals. So I'll give you an example of how things uh, are expected to change drastically. Uh, as of May, the use new citizen, you'll be able to uh, request Facebook or Google, wherever they're headquartered, whether it's in Ireland, and you'll be able to ask, you have one week, uh, hello Google, hello Facebook, this is my name, please send me. Um, all the data in an electronic readable format and you've got one week to send that to me. Now the idea behind that is to sort of level the playing field between um, very large corporations that have monopoly, at least some degree of monopoly over over data. I'm trying to level the playing field between these corporations and the smaller players. So in a sense, uh, if it's not difficult to imagine if if that data has value for Facebook or Google, it's not difficult to imagine that perhaps it can have value for, for a smaller player, for another company, for, for Walmart, or the equivalent, European equivalent. And so you can, with that data in hand, that you would have received back from Facebook or Google, just to a couple, so you can turn around and say, hey, you know, would you like my data? Would you like my anonymized data? And I'm ready to sell it to you, and I'm ready to uh, sell parts of it bits of it or whatever you think is, is valuable to you, and, and, and here's my price. So I'm, I'm simplifying a bit, but we're creating a, a platform and a marketplace where individuals will be able to monetize on, on a, an anonymized basis um, some of the personal data that other companies have, so far have been collecting on them. Why not uh, handing over back the power and ownership of to its rightful owner, i.e. you and
1: Great. Evis and Giorgio from Procivis AG, and your current project is valid. Uh, Our audience can learn more about that and participate in the crowd sale by going to valid.global. One final question for you, gentlemen. Uh, In the the realm of digital identity, uh, you mentioned the great example of Estonia, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, And then you also mentioned that, you know, a a technological powerhouse like Switzerland, even even that country is lagging behind and keeping up with the times. What do you see, and, and the U.S. as well, what do you see in the next, let's say, five to ten years? How does digital identity become a more com, uh, more crucial component of everyday life? Do you, do you see that happening anytime soon, or are we still ways off? I
2: think that we're not the only ones tracking. In fact, there's quite a famous IC. U.S. based, or civic wasn't quite tackling the entire personal data sphere like we are, or trying to monetize, or enabling monetization of it. Um, they have a very good, pro- very good proposition with regards to um, self-sovereign digital identity, i.e., a digital identity that individual can create and, and uh, for themselves and get validated by third party thanks to blockchain. They're not the only ones. There's quite a few other, uh, quite a few other uh, protocols and a few initiatives worldwide, and I think what we're seeing is right now they're all pretty much in development phase. None of them are quite production ready or market ready, but that's going to happen very quickly. Um, I and mean, what I mean quickly is within the next two years. And I think over time, within the next five to ten years, there'll be a handful of these protocols that, we, uh, that will have emerged as being globally accepted or globally uh, established and known. Uh, and, and, and probably for a time, these handful of protocols and and solutions will probably coexist with our digital passports or government centralized solutions. I think they'll coexist for some time and what will happen after 10 years, I probably can't tell you. I think it'll be harder and harder to differentiate what was handed over to you. Uh, by government and what was handed over to you thanks to uh, blockchain technology.
1: Exciting times. Evis Giorgio, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Any final thoughts before we wrap? Not
2: from us. Thank you for your time.
1: That'll do it for this episode of Future Tech Podcast. Hey, everybody, we'll see you next time.
0: Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018. The Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and, of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review